in the bulletin on the paper uh, when I first saw it and it had Third John, um, the first thing that I thought about was 111 John. I understand how the, the Roman numerals and stuff. The reason I say that is I remember reading an article about uh, how much in our high schools and our students, how much they're unfamiliar with things such as Roman numerals. And uh, it was Veterans Day, and uh, the school had the privilege of having a World War II veteran in. And the high school student that introduced him proudly introduced a veteran of World War XI. And I thought, I had never heard that, and I thought, how sad, but I saw that and I thought of that. Uh, Third John, um, this morning's uh, message, and this is a continuation from uh, the last time that I uh, spoke, when we looked at the first eight verses of Third John, and the title, Who Are You?, uh, comes from the three men that are addressed in the book of Third John. Um, Third John, the uh, key theme is having a good witness in the church and beyond. The key verse is verse 3, where John says, For I was glad when brethren came and bore witness to your truth. That is how you are walking in the truth. At that time period, not a lot of churches had their own uh, pastor, and so what they did was they had kind of like circuit preachers, and the apostles would uh, send them out, and uh, so these uh, traveling preachers would, would meet back up with apostles, and uh, the fellow um, that John is speaking uh, to is uh, Gaius, and his reputation for love and hospitality for the brethren was known far and wide. And it's something that John encourages that this is the reputation that you want to have. Verses 1 to 8 is Gaius, a beloved brother. Uh, in verses 9 and 10, which we will uh, look at this morning, is Diotaphras, um, a proud believer. And then in verses 11 and 12, um, which we'll touch on next time, is Demetrius, and he's an exemplary believer. And then verses 13 and 14 are uh, the conclusion. Um, a quick uh, review of uh, verses 1 to 8. Um, we find that in 3 John, he's addressing the issue... Um, of apostasy. Actually, if you look at all three of John's uh, books, first uh, through third John, it deals with um, apostasy and uh, the battle for truth and against apostasy um, is not only fought in the home, which you see in second John, um, but it's also and especially in the local church. Um, it's one thing when you look at churches in our communities that teach false doctrines, um, but um, it's something that back even in this time period, even back in the time when the apostles were still ministering, apostasy was there, and it's gotten uh, much worse, and we look at it in our time period and the best way that I can say uh, the condition of apostasy in our, our nation and in the world is that when, first, when Peter and 2 Peter addressed the issues of apostasy, what Peter did was he announced the apostates are coming. He gave them a warning. Then in the book of Jude, uh, he addresses or announces the apostates are here. And Jude uh, says that, you know, he desired to write to them about their common salvation. That was the burden and the blessing of his heart. But he found himself instead 
writing to the, the church to encourage them to contend for the faith. Because apostasy, if, as you find out in, in uh, Jude, he says they're amongst you. They're in your love feast. And so they didn't fully take Peter's warning that the apostates were coming. Um, Paul faced that in his time period. They had people that followed Paul around everywhere he went to cause problems. And so uh, John, uh, in his uh, three uh, epistles, addresses uh, the issue of apostasy, but First John, uh, he doesn't say the apostates are here as Jude does. He says we're knee-deep in apostasy. If we were to look at it today, and if uh, God was to, uh, John was here and, and uh, God inspired him to write another one, he'd probably say we're knee-deep. And the thing that's dangerous when you look at the issue of apostasy in the church is that it's something, we look at things beyond our church as far as false doctrines, false teachings. We don't ever stop and think that the church can be infiltrated. Um, and that's something that, again, according to Jude, and that's something that, uh, according here, um, has happened. Um, and so uh, that is something that is very important. The times haven't changed much. If you look at the situation in the Bible and you looked out here today, you probably would go, wow, you'd think that they were talking about now and not then. One of the key words in this letter is the word witness or testified. Um, we find that in verse 3. We find in verses uh, 6 and 12. Some translations say report or bear record or record. And it means not only the words that we say, or, or it speaks of the words we say, but the lives we live, and how important that is. In verses 1 to 8, some important things John highlights. Um, his love for Gaius and the brethren. He says in verse 1, Whom I love in the truth, because as Christians... Having a common knowledge of the truth, uh, which is Jesus Christ in the Bible, we also have a common source of love, and that is Jesus Christ. And you see that in, in uh, 2 John 1. The apostle attended uh, the kind of love that is consistent with the fundamental of the faith. Some people look at, at the word when he says, whom I love in the faith, and some people say, well, he loves them truly. He really loves them. And that's not what John's speaking of. He's talking about the fundamentals of our faith and the truth. We have love for one another in Christ, through Christ, and because of Christ. Um, we don't have an excuse not to love the brethren. Uh, there are some people... I remember in the church uh, growing up that were what I called unlovable. At least they seemed like unlovable to a youth. And uh, because of our saving faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we don't have an excuse. Uh, you know, I've said before, like is good, but it's not a necessary ingredient. But we are told that we are to love one another. Gaius also... Um, or John in uh, the first eight verses also spoke of Gaius's walk. His reputation was known. Um, our walk should talk louder than our talk talk. That's why you know you've you've heard the saying that parents often have told their kids, "Don't do as I do, but do as I say." Well, guess what speaks loudest to the child? what their parents do, what their parents live out. Uh, we have a, a young lady at work that absolutely hates Christians to the fullest word that you can comprehend what faith uh, or um, what hate is. And her mother is the same way. And it's a situation to where 
the best way that you can witness to her without her shutting you off is to show her. To show her God's love. Um, and so, you know, this is important to understand uh, that, you know, our walk is what people look at more than our talk. Um, and I uh, had, when I was stationed at Fort Lewis, um, I had an instructor that at lunch, um, or is that a break? And he asked me a question that caught me off guard. It probably shouldn't have, but it caught me off guard. He said, if you don't mind my asking, are you a Christian? And I'm like, yes, I am. I was a little bit puzzled. And he said, I could tell by the way that you acted and behaved compared to everybody else. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't mention God. I didn't quote any verses. I wasn't right now. I was going over these things in the head, just kind of puzzled. But it was something that stand out. And that's something that we all should strive for. And I take a, a few minutes on it because of this importance. A, a counter story is when I was in high school, um, our church, Matt will be envious of, of this, um, our church was separated from Dairy Queen by just Main Street. So you can go across Main Street, you were at Dairy Queen, and so on a Wednesday night after youth group, a bunch of us went over to Dairy Queen, and one of the guys, some of his high school buddies were there, and they talked to him uh, for a little bit, and then he went back over to the church, and I remember one of them turned to the other one and said, pointing at him, saying, if that's what a Christian is, I don't need it because I already live like him. And so it's important, and that's why that John uh, commends Gaius for his reputation, for his walk, for the word that's gotten out. The other thing that John touches on in the first eight verses is that John encouraged Gaius to keep exercising hospitality, acting faithfully towards the brethren, especially uh, towards strangers, because as we'll find out, uh, the uh, fellow that we're going to look at today was absolutely uh, a contradiction compared to Gaius, and he wanted him to keep on with the hospitality because if you uh, look at uh, verse 8 when he speaks of this he says um, actually you know I'm in Psalms still from earlier I think we should probably change that um, okay verse 5 he says beloved you are acting faithfully at being, being hospitable in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers. This is speaking of the itinerant preachers that were going around that he went above and beyond as a gracious host. He uh, made sure that they were housed. He would feed them. Any needs that they had, uh, that Gaius would go out of uh, his way. And so this is an encouragement not to just Gaius, but to the believers of the church and to, to us as well. And this is something that sometimes for me is kind of touchy because it's something that doesn't always come natural, especially to somebody you don't know. You know, I, I, me being somebody that likes to talk, that doesn't have a shut-off button on their mouth, usually somebody putting tape across it. Um, a lot of times when you first meet someone and there's not anything in common that you're aware of, it's, it comes across maybe as inhospitable, but uh, it's just that like this. But, you know, I've heard some people, because if you remember when pastor went through spiritual gifts, Hospitality is one of the spiritual gifts, and I, I've heard some people that would have been me 20 years ago, would have been me 20 minutes ago, uh, was going, 
great, that's not my spiritual gift. I'm off the hook, you know, whatever like this. And the thing is, is it doesn't have to be your spiritual gift. And we don't know that it was his, but he encouraged Gaius in these things, in, in his walk, in his love for the brethren, in his hospita hospitality, to, you might say, keep on keeping on. In other words, keep going. Because one of the things that we find in the Bible is that the Bible was full of what kind of words? Action words. Um, and one of the things, uh, Sherry's brother and I have been meeting every other Monday for coffee. And one of the things that I uh, read and one of the things that he'd, he'd given me is that with the Christian faith, you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. Because if you stand still, what happens in your spiritual life? You start moving uh, backwards. And so he keeps encouraging Gaius to uh, keep moving forward. Let's begin looking at verse 9. He says, I wrote something to the church, the diatrophist, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Whereas Gaius, by his reputation for, from the itinerant teachers, had given John a reason to rejoice. Um, another member in that local body gave John uh, a reason to be remorse and have remorse instead of to rejoice. Um, Diatrophus, uh, who was creating trouble by refusing to receive the itinerant mis uh, ministers, um, would turn them away. In fact, he even refused to receive any written communication sent by the apostle because you um, look at uh, this, he says, starts out the verse by saying, I wrote something to the church. But he mentions them by name by saying, but Diophilus, who loves to be first, does not accept what we say. So the church didn't get that. Some people thought, well, maybe he's talking about 1 John. Problem is, the church got the letter. Um, and then they make reference to 2 John, but that is written to an individual in the church and then was uh, customary during that time period is a church would get a letter, they would copy it and send it to other neighboring churches um, so that they had it as well. And so, you know, uh, Diotrephus was so uh, set and obsessed with being first that if there was anything that was going to interfere with that, then he was going to reject that, whether it was a traveling minister or whether it was a letter from one of the apostles. Uh, he wasn't willing to accept it. Um, and obviously, again, it never made it to the ears of the congregation. Uh, he never read it. And again, uh, this is not only... Uh, rejection of the ministers and of John's letter but it is also a rejection of the apostle and his apostolistic authority and that's something that's very important because as we'll see in a, a few minutes where did the apostles get their authority from God himself from Jesus Christ and so to reject the word of the apostles was to what Reject the word of God was to reject God himself. He goes on in the verse to say, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, he loved to be first, or he loved the, the preeminence. Uh, in the second part of his epistle, John condemns the violation of the biblical principle of hospitality towards faithful ministers of the word. The problem in 2 John was they were welcoming and embracing the apostates. And John said we should not be part of uh, contributing to the ministry of false teachings to the apostates. Well, in 3 John, the problem is just the opposite. 
you know, instead of welcoming the false teachers, they're turning away the doctrinally sound godly uh, preachers. And so it all came about again, what? His desire or his love to have preeminence. He wanted to be uh, number one. Um, He desired it. He wanted to be above the church. He wanted the church's respect. He wanted the church's love as being uh, it. Again, wanted the recognition, which again is what? Contrary to God and his word. Uh, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word, Jesus Christ, has always been. Um, He has always been in fellowship with God the Father. He is God, and there's no association with the word of God apart from the Trinity. Why is that important? Because John says he rejected the word. And so to reject the word um, is to reject God himself. And uh, I emphasize that if you turn to Matthew chapter 22. I emphasize John 1, 1 uh, to understand the authority of Jesus Christ as God and the clear authority of the Bible as we read in Matthew 22. Uh, let's begin with verse 37. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets so Gaius's behavior when you read verses 9 and 10 his behavior is in contradiction with what God is saying. He's not loving God with all his soul, with all his heart, with all his mind. In, in effect, you know, as Satan desired to be above God by rejecting God's word and rejecting God, that's the preeminence that Gaius wants, not Gaius, excuse me, but Deacrivus wants um, as well. Um, and so, you know, we look at this and we see that the um, apostasy that his life is leading by example that he is uh, rejecting uh, the word of God. Um, He's God and there's no association with the word of God apart from the Trinity. And that's something that John is speaking to Gaius about because even though we're reading a, a about Diotrephus, he's still speaking to um, Gaius. Um, Diotrephus was rejecting John's apostolic authority and not only uh, placing himself above the church and John, but again, uh, the one who gave John his authority, and that was uh, God himself. Verse 10. John says, for this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. So you look at what we had uh, seen of Gaius's life and you look at uh, Diotrephus and what's interesting is that in two verses uh, can sum up uh, Diotrephus's testimony, his walk. Because as a church, you know, we want, like for instance, we support the Joneses. 
They're missionaries to China. And, uh, you know, when we get spoken of, we want our church to be spoken of as a God-loving, God-serving people that have a godly walk. We want uh, to be the ones that have the testimony um, that is positive to God, not like the... the uh, young man in, in youth group that his buddies were going, if that's being a Christian, I'm living that way already. We don't want to have that negative uh, impact. And uh, so it's, it's uh, really mind-boggling when you look at the whole thing. And what's interesting as you look at this, I, reading the different commentaries, Almost every one of them said they have a question about whether Deitris was saved because as uh, Christ encourages us, we're not to judge one another, but what are we to be? We're to be fruit inspectors, as Pastor puts it. You know, what is the evidence there? And you look at Deitris' life and you say, where is the evidence of the fruit? But they all stopped short because the only one that knew if he was saved was uh, God and himself. And there are Christians that are fruit trees that don't bear fruit, um, and so we don't really know. But John says in verse uh, 10, he says, um, If I come, I will call attention to his deeds. John's apostolic authority meant that Deitrus had to answer for his behavior. Um, and the apostle did not and would not overlook his usurping his authority of Christ's place in the church because, again, he says he wanted to be first. Not he wanted to, you know, there's Christ and then Deiterus and then everybody else. He wanted to be first. There in verse 10, um, it indicates. His guilt was of four things. First, unjust accusations. The charges against John were empty, jabber, they were false, and they were completely unjustified. He says, un, uh, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. So they were un, uh, his deeds were to um, uh, spout uh, jabber, to spout empty things. The second thing that he was guilty of is with wicked or malicious words um, not only were the charges that he was leveling against the apostle false but they were evil I mean that's when you look at what the word malicious means and it's one thing to think because sometimes we try to do public relations with what we want to say about something or someone that, you know, instead of looking at Hitler and going, he was just pure evil. You wonder if he was even human. Hitler was, well, he wasn't necessarily the guy that you wanted to bring home to mother. You know, some people do the, the, the a public relation uh, type thing and stuff. And John says the words were evil, uh, not a characteristic of a child of God. It's one of the things that often causes the commentary or the commentators to question that. But the old man or the flesh was winning the battle over the new creature with Deitrus's heart. Um, I remember reading uh, Warren Wordsby's commentary some years ago, and there was an Indian convert that was talking about the old nature and our new nature. And it'd be nice if when we got saved, the old man just died. It would be awesome. Um, I would be the first one to, to be appreciative of it. But this Indian convert um, said something that I thought, and the great thing was I, we were working with the high schoolers or the youth, and he put it in a way that youth would grasp a hold of. He said, inside me I have two natures. The new, uh, 
preacher and the old man, and he, he compared them as to, inside I have two dogs, and the dog that wins is the one I feed the most. And so what happens if we're not reading the word of God? What happens if we're not praying? We're feeding somebody. We're feeding somebody, and if you're, we're not feeding the new man, who are we feeding? We're feeding the old man, and uh, that may be one of the things that may be happening to him is that he's not feeding him God's word, but he's feeding him himself, his pride, um, and his selfish desires. The third thing that we see he was guilty of is uh, verse 10, he says, Neither does he himself receive the brethren. So in other words, uh, what he's saying here, depending on the translation, is it's not just saying they come in the door and you avoid them the whole service and as soon as the pastor finishes and everybody's leaving, I'm out the side door and go, wow, I made it the whole service without having to, to, to talk to them. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about they weren't welcomed in. They weren't welcomed into anybody's home. They weren't shown the hospitality. They weren't welcomed into the church, and they never preached. Um, and so he's saying they did not um, receive them in. So he's not only slandered John, but he also deliberately defiled, defied, excuse me, or you could say open resistance. Um, vicious opposition um, and not even uh, you know speaking to these people um, and it had effect on other believers look at the end of uh, verse 10 he says and he forbids those who desire to do so so he probably had given Gaius some grief probably other ones that were excited about the the, the preacher for Sunday and Diatrus said you know tighten the thumbscrews and would try to influence them in not to welcoming them and what was his ace up his sleeve look at the very end of excuse me look at the very end of verse 10 he says, and puts them out of the church, excommunicates them. Um, and so, you know, the Bible at this time, uh, we had how to exercise church discipline. And so it obviously wasn't being done because there was, you know, unless you're disciplining or trying to teach in, hospi in hospitality, um, and stuff, and so he, some thought maybe Diatris was a preacher, most think that he was just an influential person in the church, maybe they met in his home, maybe he was somebody that was, was wealthy and was a, a source of money in the church, but uh, we see the, in the original language, this is uh, something that is really important for us to understand, this wasn't an occasional thing. Um, this was something that was habitual. If you look at the original language, it indicates that his habit was to excommunicate those who embraced the Apostle John's authority and resisted his authority. Um, and that by resisting his authority, resisted Dietrich's authority. To accept John's authority as well as being hospitable to traveling ministers directly threatened the authority that Diotrephus coveted. It's what he wanted. And it would jeopardize it. In verse 10, John assures Gaius that he is going to deal with the issues that are at hand. And... Uh, he says here, uh, verse 10, I will call attention to his deeds. That's in the New American Standard Bible. 
Um, it, it reads, I like how it reads uh, here when he says, I will call attention. Um, one of the translations I like is the, the King James, but it says, I will remember. Um, because the apostle is not saying, that's why I like the, the um, New American Standard, because he's not saying, if I remember when I come, I'll say something to the guy about it. What he's saying is, I won't forget this. I'll address his conduct with him. Uh, and you look at the present tense of the verbs in verse 10, um, and they're all important, but you look at the uh, word does. He says here, if I come, I will call attention to the deeds which he does. And he's, the, the word accusing is the next um, present tense verb uh, here is he says unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this neither does he himself receive the brethren receive is the next uh, present tense of the verb he goes on he says he forbids those who desire to do so um, here forbids is our next present tense. And then the last one uh, is, he says, he puts them out. Now, why is it important? Now, if you want me to teach you something about English, I'm going to go back to the old cartoons on Saturday morning in the 70s when they had conjunction function, you know, the different little things they had, because that's about my understanding of English, okay? It's about as good as Greek um, and stuff. But what's important about the present tense of these verbs here is they indicate that these were habitual practices. This was his common uh, way of, you know, it's me or you're gone. You know, again, he puts them out of the church. A church dictator is always dangerous to the doctrinal health of the church. And that's why it's important for us to understand that. And one of the things I would encourage you, I think it's, it's great, I've said it before, that a great study, if you want to look at a long study, is to look at 1 Peter, 2 Peter, look at Jude, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, because, you know, as we discussed earlier, you see different stages of apostasy, and 1 Peter... I think is important to start with because he gives us a foundation to build on. If you, if you take the found, excuse me, the foundation that Peter lays out in First Peter, then we're going to have a foundation that when it comes to the matters of apostasy, you don't got to worry about Second John, uh, where you know they were welcoming and embracing um, apostates. Um, you know, some of the apostasies back then, uh, the Gnostics, they believed that the physical could not coexist with the spiritual. Therefore, what does that say about Jesus Christ? He was either man or he's either God. But what does the Bible tell us? Yes, he was both. And so, you know, there was one of the, the teachings out there. But, you know, in Jude, again, making reference to, he talks about them being in the church already and having infiltrated uh, the church. And that's something that is the most dangerous. We could look at uh, Buddhism and Hinduism and Mormonism and look at all these things and may not be a great threat to us. But if it's something that is in the church, then it has a critical danger because in 1 John chapter 2, I believe it's 19, the apostle speaks of some people that were in the church because he said, you know, they were among us, but they were not of us, which means what? They weren't saved. Now, where's the danger? You know, I've gone to a, a, you know, how we ended up at the Joneses Church. We left the church we had uh, uh, attended when we came back from Italy. 
and uh, there were some things going on that we needed to, to just separate ourselves from. And I remember thinking when I was managing at McDonald's, there was another manager by the name of Kurt Jones, and he was pastor of a church. And so we went to say hi. So you see the connections there, which means what? I had to know the Bible because if I'm sitting under his preaching, I needed to know, was he teaching the word of God? Or was he preaching uh, something that was contrary to it and where the dangers are? And this is why it's very important for us to, to understand our Bible. I know in a number of conversations Tommy and I have had, you know, he's talked about how many Christians he comes across that don't know their Bible. Why is it important? Remember one of the issues the Apostle Paul faced was the Judaizers? And Paul would go and he would teach saving grace by what? By the grace of God. And the Judaizers would go, yes, but you also need to be circumcised. Yes, but you also need to do this into this into this. And so you could see where the dangers are. Um, and I'm, I, I, I take pastor's advice in trying not to sit here and belittle somebody else's faith if they uh, believe in somebody besides Jesus Christ. But one of the dangers of the Mormon church who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but who do they believe Satan is? His brother. Yep, believe that, that he's a, a, a God. And they, the, the, you know, I remember talking to, to one when I was stationed in Italy, and they believed that Satan was, was Jesus Christ's brother. Now, what's one of the dangers? Now, I can look at that and say, is that a threat to a new Christian? Probably not, but what's one of the dangers? Every time I've seen a Mormon um, out witnessing, they always had two books with them. They always had the Book of Mormon, but guess what book they also had with them? Who here has got a King James Version this morning? There's one, there's two. Guess what they have with their Book of Mormon? The King James. Now, they don't ever hardly open it, but what happens? Somebody's sitting there talking to them, and they glance down, and most Bibles in the binding here, um, they'll see, oh, they got a King James Bible. Okay, you got, a, a, you know, you got young Christians, because I remember one of the conversations uh, with Kurt Jones, um, when we were both at uh, Southridge, is I made the comment that I've read that about 70% of people in the Mormon church either sat in a doctrinally sound church or they were young Christians that were not discipled. So they stayed young. They didn't learn to grow. And Kurt corrected me and said it's probably more like 80%. That's why one of the things that for me for the last 25, almost uh, 30 years has been the issue of discipleship because in um, every church that I've been in, it's not been what it should be when you look at the, the Bible and stuff. So this is something that is uh, really important for us to understand because, you know, we see from 1 John, we see from 3 John. That the apostasy is not just outside our churches. It can be inside our churches. And if we don't know what the word of God says. And the, the last thing that I will uh, do. In, in the, 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 I'll, I'll save that for, for next time. But the last time. Uh, <clears throat> that I will. Uh, say here is in being able to judge a false teaching from a doctrinal teaching I would ask that you would write down if you're not familiar with that 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 to 6 because John there gives you the recipe or the barometer in which to be able to gauge 
what is a false teaching, what is a biblical teaching. And it's something that uh, I remember reading it, and it was one of the, the first group of verses that I had memorized um, as an adult uh, was those six verses. So this is something that's important for all of us. Um, and, you know, who are, who are we? Are we Gaius? Are we Diatrus? And next time we'll learn about Demetrius, who's an exemplary believer. So. Well, that is the details that we need. Um, good. That is a relief because that's, that's a huge relief because Jennifer spent her first four days in, in uh, the intensive care unit. So I understand the dangers that are there. So that is, well, you know what? We're closing in prayer. It's perfect timing. So let's close. Father, we are just so grateful for your word and father the books by the apostle John never cease no matter what my spiritual condition is to pierce my heart and father they often make me ask what David did when he said search me O God and see if there's any wicked way in me because I know that there's something there, and I, even if I'm not sure what it is, I don't want it to be revealed, when in reality we should want to know so that it can be purged. Father, we just uh, thank you this morning for the birth of baby Lou, and Father, we just thank you that all are healthy, and... Uh, Father, we just pray that you'd give mom and baby the rest that they need. And uh, Father, again, we just praise your name for the arrival of Brian and Amy's child. We ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. And by the way, for those of you that don't know, the baby's first name is not Lou. But the last name of mom and dad is Lou. So I just dawned on me when I was doing I'm going, some of you going to be going, going, hey, how's Lou doing? And it's like, they're like this, so.